learning to disconnect from all of these unhelpful, shaming, untrue beliefs and conditioning that we've received from the world and from society and from religion and dropping into the idea that like, oh, my sexuality is not wrong or bad. It can get twisted and murky and I can dangerously express it or I can abusively express it. But if I'm conscious and aware and I'm bringing that authentic part of myself out to play and I'm communicating with my partner and we've built enough safety, then really provided we're both consenting, anything is possible. That's Jordan Hackett. He's a sexologist and a men's sex coach who specializes in helping men build intimacy and connection with themselves and their partners. Like many of us growing up, Jordan didn't know the first thing about how to communicate with girls and felt like he was missing out on a part of life he had a deep need to experience. Could feel myself longing for like love and intimacy. After discovering porn as an outlet for his frustrations before his teenage years began, Jordan soon developed a reliance and found himself further away from the kind of real intimacy he was actually chasing. As soon as I started using porn, the two became enmeshed and so my sexuality and porn were kind of one and the same. Jordan's fascinated by everything to do with sex and all the ways humans navigate it, so much so that he's made a career out of it as a somatic sex educator, a trauma-informed body-based form of sex therapy to actually begin having different experiences inside of their body, their pleasure, their sex. Blokes joke about sex all the time, but how often do we really talk about it and reflect on what it is about who we are and how we feel about ourselves that significantly impacts our sex lives? Yeah, not often. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. This episode is sponsored by Bolton Brothers, the guys dedicated to changing the face of men's mental health, and Ski for Life, the organisation promoting mental health and suicide prevention through their annual ski relay in South Australia. Check out their websites and follow them on socials. Jordan, when do you first remember being aware of your desire for intimacy from girls and also the awareness that you were lacking in it? Well, probably at age like 10 or 11, I guess. Yeah, I think it would have been that young. And I think there was aspects of it maybe a little bit earlier, but it really started to kick in towards the end of primary school and beginning of high school where I could feel myself longing for like love and intimacy. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it would have been that young. And I think there was aspects of it maybe a little bit earlier, but it really started to kick in towards the end of primary school and beginning of high school where I could feel myself longing for like love and intimacy. Mm. Um, and so, yeah. were you seeing other boys at school get more of that attention or did you feel like it was lacking in other parts of your life? Like, did you have affectionate parents? Was there anything to do with that? No, I had super affectionate parents, um, really loving family like heaps of love in my life in general. I think um, it was just that as soon as I started to become aware of, like I think even just in movies and stuff and obviously in pornography that sexualized kind of intimacy, but I started to see representations of it out in the world. 
Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't have that. Like, I don't have that deeply intimate kind of union. I longed for it. And then in as soon as I entered high school, I did start to see representations of it, little bits of it in, in friendship groups. I just felt pretty uncomfortable and shy to try and go and create any of it. So were you wanting a girlfriend or did you just want to hug a girl or hold someone's hand or even have a conversation? All of the above. <laughs> yeah i think i think i'd like socially i was reasonably confident it was more like as soon as the romantic sexual kind of space came up and just generally like physicality with girls was really edgy for me and uncharted and like so many boys you discovered porn at a very young age how did you first get exposed to that first ways i got exposed to it was like magazines in service stations and like news agencies and stuff and i have a fair few memories of like riding my bike to a local servo and just different moments being out with my parents and just sliding like little looks. And I reckon that might've been as young as like nine years old. Yeah. Um, but Those magazines in, that were like covered up with plastic, like the real yeah. hardcore ones. But man, back in, back in that time, there was some that weren't as well. Like there was some that were borderline. And yeah. Not, FHM. Yeah. I remember, and, I remember going in there, I think pre maybe year six or year seven and just being hell nervous about getting an FHM and like you'd get dared by your friend to go into the news agency and get an 11 or 12 year old you like bashfully buying a magazine and then like running off like it's some sort of treasure. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And I remember being in a servo one time and fully just like taking a good look at something I shouldn't have been. And the guy kind of leant over the counter and was like, you shouldn't be looking at that, mate. <laughs> and there's just kind of the shame that came over me and the embarrassment and just like awkwardly kind of shuffled out of the service stations. And then how did yeah. you go from that to internet porn? Yeah, it's amazing. I can't believe the progression that was just in my childhood. Like we were using dial-ups to it when I was 11 or 12. And so yeah. I'd watch like still images slowly load on a screen. Yeah, with the, with the started... dial-up connection noise going. Yeah. Super sexy. And you had like and 200 then... megabytes a month of uh, download. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember just like goggling at like women's boobs, you know, like, and just being amazed. And it was before I even started masturbating that I started looking at that kind of pornography. And then as the internet developed, I just developed with it. And as soon as I got a phone, I think I started to realize I had access. But I remember in year seven or eight, like probably year eight, so I would have been 13 or 14, um, sitting with a mate at his place, like looking up Red Tube and watching porn together and mm. stuff. So as soon as I started to find those sites, it was just off and away. Like, And I suppose it's a similar introduction for most. The age would have got a lot younger now, even since we were mm. of that age just because technology's so crazy now and so accessible when every kid from the age of, I don't know, at 10 max starts to have iPhones or access, yeah. sort of untapped access to a world of stuff that kids really shouldn't be seeing when their brains are still developing. But to a mm. large extent, you can't really stop it. starts off with your friends. Some kid at school has access to it or shows you something and then you're like, oh, you, you might, regardless of what way you react to it, it might be shocking at first, but then you're aware of it and then you know how to go and look for it yourself and then pretty soon it becomes a, a thing that you're doing regularly or exploring constantly that you didn't even know about before and something that seems not all that significant to a kid at the time is actually massively <laughs> significant and you don't totally even, even realise. So how did your porn consumption progress? 
Yeah, I think the really important thing to acknowledge is like that the way sexuality was addressed in my household or the lack of the way in which sexuality was addressed in my household and pornography created like this cyclical development in me. And so like the way in which I consumed porn was partially a result of the way in which sex was treated in my household. And then the way in which I consumed porn affected the way in which I felt about my sexuality. And so uh, it was this like so there was like a process. I don't talk about it attitude. It wasn't so much don't talk about it, but my dad came from a Catholic background um, and and like so much conditioning there that he just hadn't worked on. Yeah. And I didn't even have a verbal sense of it, but I could just, it was just transmitted directly to me. I could just feel all of it. And I just knew sexuality was not a safe thing to express in the world, especially as a man with all the damage we've done throughout history. And so I had all of these different compounding kind of awarenesses of like, oh, I don't think it's safe to express my sexuality. And then as soon as, as soon as I started using porn, the two became enmeshed. And so my sexuality and porn were kind of one and the same. And I remember, yeah, at the peak of my porn use for a fair few years in teenagehood, I think I would have been consuming it and masturbating like probably daily most of the time. And, you know, yeah, which would be um, fairly typical and plenty of people taking it to more of an extreme than that. Were you aware of using it as an educational tool? I don't think I was aware of that fully at that time. I think I think I probably had a split awareness at times of like, oh, this isn't realistic and I don't expect myself to be doing this. But then also all of the unconscious expectation that I was still holding of like, oh, yeah, I've got to last a really long time. I've got to perform. Certain people want pornographic sex. I want pornographic sex, like all of these different things. And so yeah. I had a very reflective nature and my mum helped develop that in me, especially around relationships. But I think still... The unconsciousness around sexuality meant that there was so many things out of my awareness that I was just being constantly affected by. How much did it consume you? Did you get to a point where you felt like it was out of control or it was damaging the rest of your life or it didn't go that far? No, I don't feel like it got fully toxic, but I feel like it had a negative impact in that I didn't feel free. I didn't feel empowered. I didn't feel... Like I had heaps of other options to kind of access pleasure and, you know, my confidence as a sexual being grew gently and slowly, especially inside of committed relationships. I began to feel much more confident and comfortable in my sexuality, but with people I didn't know and like expressing attraction and stuff, that was all really underdeveloped, I felt, or not underdeveloped, but just not where I wanted it to be. And I felt pretty continually challenged by my, my, um, not inability completely, but my shyness and my lack of confidence in being able to interact in the ways I wanted to. Um, So I think porn created like heaps of expectation of myself or compounded lots of expectation of like, oh, I should be this like confident, hard-cocked rock star, you know, (laughs) like just go and get what I want, you know, like. And And so did that make you feel like you weren't enough? as such a young boy that obviously it's a crazy standard to live up to not that you were necessarily expecting to live up to that but it basically shows every young man uh, a stereotype of what super attractive women supposedly want and that that's very extreme and it's unattainable for most men when they're fully grown let alone the gap between being a young boy and being a fully grown man to uh totally. have those 
physical gifts, if you call them that, and then also obviously the the attitudes that are portrayed through porn, which are hugely um, graphic and aggressive and sometimes abusive. Mm. How did it change the way that you viewed women in real life and yourself at that time? Mm. Yeah, to, to answer the unworthiness piece briefly, like I feel like it did contribute to that, you know, on top of like a whole bunch of Catholic and modern Western conditioning that teaches us to be unworthy creatures deeply in our bones, you know, so I feel like that was all in the mix. Um, yeah. It's taken me years to really like get to a point where even just this year, I feel like I've made massive breakthroughs after consciously working on that for you know, really intensively, like three years, but probably a decade now. Like, so, so carrying a lot of shame? Yeah, carrying a lot of shame, but just carrying uh, a sense that I've got to be a certain way in the world to be worthy, that I've got to do certain things to be worthy inside and outside of relationships, inside business, all these things. And so it's like for me to really pause and do nothing and be nothing and be like, oh, no, I'm still a worthy human being. I'm still worthy of being alive. It's like that's a pretty radical self-realization and step to to take i think in its fullest possibility mm. um as far as the way i view women i think what it created in me was a significant split and so i've you know i've been this really passionate warm-hearted loving individual most of my life and that's how i was with people even in my teenagehood for the most part but it created this split in that part of me and my sexuality and it, it created this highly eroticized, sexualized expression in me and this desire to like meet that and to be highly sexual. Mm. And it and that's where I used porn for. And that's where I'd be out on the street and I'd see women in short skirts or tight clothing. I'd be like, oh, you're it too. Yeah. And I just continue to pedestal these sexual beings and put them up on this place that I could never reach and even interact with because they were never they were no longer even human. And then all of the other people that were humans that I could interact with and make connections with, but it took me a really long time to feel safe enough to bring my sexual expression out with, you know, and actually treat them like sexual creatures. Um, yeah, so I created a split, I think, in how I viewed women. I've had super tumultuous and conflictual times inside of my intimate relationships and I've, you know, journeyed through really wild dynamics and challenging times and you know huge arguments and disagreements and breakups so i feel like i've had a whole range of flavors through all of that i've had a really good handle on what it means to like respect and regard and passionately love one another so i don't feel like porn warped that but i feel like the reason it didn't was because i had such good role models for some of that in my life so i'm really fortunate that i had some really like healthy um, respectful, you know, like caring, loving individuals in my world that I could look up to. For sure. And do you feel like in the work you do now as a sexologist that porn rears its head in all sorts of ways in the people that you work with where where they might not say directly, oh, this is a, a problem I have or something I want to work on, but you'll notice that they have certain attitudes or certain behaviours because or related to porn use? Oh, absolutely, man, for sure. And I think the biggest one that shows up is how desensitized men actually are in their feeling body, like in that most of men's sexuality, I perceive, is projected outwardly onto these other images and people. And so when they actually try and just drop down into their bodies and like feel their own touch even, they're just numb. 
And so it's like any actual kind of conscious self-pleasure that they're doing or touch with themselves that doesn't have this highly sexualized fantasy or image in front of it just feels boring at yeah. first. Yeah. And it takes this really long time to actually develop any sense of embodiment and like genuine connection to their own body. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Did you find that you struggled for a long time to get excited after using porn so much? I think there was times where inside of long-term relationship when I was in my younger 20s, like my early 20s, that, yeah, there was times where it would desensitize me a little bit. But I think for the most part, the, the heart connection, the intimacy, the relational connection inside of real-life sex was always a really different experience to me to porn. Yeah. Um, and so it always matched it with some other elements um, or, you know, went well beyond it. Um yeah, so I feel like it, it didn't it didn't ruin things for me or desensitize me too much, but it, it definitely had an impact still at times. And there was times when I felt less confident to be really sexual and open in my earlier life where it felt like I could only bring that highly sexualized kind of like erotic nature of my own out with myself in private with porn and that didn't necessarily have the same level of permission inside of relationship. How are you able to change that so that you could do that in real life as well, or did it drop away? Yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it just dropped away. Like I've done a lot of work to, to liberate myself basically and to let go of shame. Um, and there's so many different things I've been through developmental processes, courses, my studies, like they're all, they've all transformed me as an individual as well as trained me to be able to do the work I do. Um, but I think at its core, it really involves learning to disconnect from all of these unhelpful, shaming, untrue beliefs and conditioning that we've received from the world and from society and from religion and dropping into the idea that like, oh, my sexuality is not wrong or bad. It can get twisted and murky and I can dangerously express it or I can abusively express it. But if I'm conscious and aware and I'm bringing that authentic part of myself out to play and I'm communicating with my partner and we've built enough safety, then really provided we're both consenting, anything is possible, you know? And so practicing that more and more, talking about all the things I want to do, getting embarrassed and moving through it anyway, feeling ashamed and doing it anyway, all of these things develop uh, a muscle eventually that it creates enough confidence and permission in my own being where I'm like, yeah, I can do a whole range of things and be okay with it now. Mm -hmm. mm, cool. What do you think the attitude that all boys and men just want to have sex and we'll root anything and we don't really care uh, about the semantics of it compared to girls who can be a lot more picky and actually have to like the person and, oh, well, boys, you know, as long as it's the bare minimum and oh, as long as she's breathing or whatever, then that's good enough mm -hmm. for you and that sort of attitude that we're conditioned by uh, as we grow up, what what impact do you think that has? I think it's super damaging and I think it's pretty much blatantly untrue. Um, I think that it's, it's confusing because we can find heaps of real life examples of it, but I think that the examples of it are actually because of its own perpetuating belief that is taught to men and boys. I don't think they are naturally like that. I think that toxic masculinity has mm. um, thrown that ideology and that teaching on top of them and then they've not had any other choice but to take it and run with it and be like oh this is what it means to be a man and we world. feel like there's to pressure to then embody that 
totally. Mm. And, you know, we don't have permission. Like there's so much expectation for boys and men, especially in their teenagehood and early 20s, to be these like um, flippant, go-easy, careless kind of guys who can sleep around and not care about other people's feelings. In the meantime, they're (laughs) brutalising their own emotional body and disconnected from it, let alone the people they're coming into interaction with because there's this expectation that sex is not an emotional act and it's like yeah sometimes it isn't but a lot of the time it's hugely emotional if we give ourselves permission to bring that forward and we're taught this lie that boys and men are not emotional beings especially in sex let alone in any other parts of their lives and that must contribute hugely to us shutting that part of ourselves down or certainly not exploring it because as soon as we get the initial result of having sex we think that's the be all and end all or that's where it should end and then there's this whole oh men don't have emotions or they're able to just root as many chicks as they can and move on without Mm. thinking or feeling and Mm. that's not the case but perhaps some of us just shut that down because we've been conditioned to think oh well job done that's all i'm meant to achieve and i'm however i feel now is how i'm supposed to feel and there's nothing more to this absolutely man for sure and i think men you know out of out of all the human beings in the world, I think men are the ones that are most conditioned not to question in those instances, actually, and just to continue playing into the norm. You know, like there's a lot of pressure there, whereas I think women and people who have lived in alternative lifestyles or who have other gender identities have come into a place of more permission to question and go after more of life, whereas men are just like, have this, this is it, and then keep rolling and do the next thing, you know. Yeah, as a result of how we're conditioned where I think men are taught not to question and to just act Mm. and not Mm. think about it and that that's manly and that's the right Mm. thing to do. And then women and people um, who are gender fluid are taught to question things and and probably think about things in in more depth and thus that directs their behavior as well. What is it that fascinates you so much about sex? Because it has become your life more or less in lots of ways. Mm. Mm, yeah, it has. And there's times where I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could talk about some other things too, but I'm committed for the time being because no one else will. So, um, yeah, the thing that's really that really grabbed me is that I was doing a lot of self-development and exploration in my own journey. And, you know, the unworthiness piece, the the way in which I was showing up in front of women and relationships, my own confidence, all of these things, I was working on them for a long time. And it became increasingly clear to me that my sexuality was like the final frontier almost. And it was the thing that sat at the core of my being and the base of my being that was actually impacting and informing everything that I did. And um, I hold a personal belief that our sexual energy, our sexual nature is really interconnected with whatever, whatever language you want to use, my language kind of life force and our soul, if you believe in a soul or whatever it is that's that intrinsic nature, that authentic part of us, I believe that our sexuality is the closest to that and an expression of that. And so for me, I'm like, I want to create change in my life and others for the better. I want to transform this world and I want to cut to the chase. (laughs) I don't want to fluff around. And so it's like, I feel like sexuality does that. It cuts to the core of the matter and um, it works on like the interior parts of people's beings, the really private and hidden aspects of their nature. Yeah, and primal and animalistic, and I see what you're saying. Yeah. If you jump to that, that's probably in large part the basis for a lot of our other thoughts and behaviours. Exactly. So how much do you think that our 
the way we are as men is tied to our sexual confidence and in terms of our insecurities and things that we might express in other ways. Is that really where it all stems from most of the time? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily always where it all stems from, but I would say a lot of the time, absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's a few things in this world that hold real power and a couple of them are sex and money. Um, and so, you know, men are taught to be as powerful as they can be. And so dominate. Yeah, exactly. And so how confident they are in their own sexuality is a pretty good measure of how confident they are as human beings. Um, and I think if we can transform all of those narratives and men can really come into an authentic expression of their sexuality that is embedded in real confidence, not this false bravado of confidence, yeah. then they can become some of the most solid, integral, caring, open people on the planet, you know, like if they actually do that work. Because the bravado and the being vocal about trying to have sex with as many women as possible is actually the opposite of confidence and mm. self-awareness really because mm. you're just desperate for approval from others and mm. reassurance that, yes, you are a man, you are the manliest man and you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Exactly. But ultimately, and many of us have gone down this path before realising it, uh, if you're doing it for the reason of gratification, it just sort of reeks of insecurity and I think mm. that's what leads to that empty feeling where yeah. – yeah, the lads in your friendship group, if you're at that particular stage in your life, might be geeing you up and telling you how much of a legend you are, but you probably know deep down that you don't really feel that way. You're just trying to mm. fill a hole, mm. for lack of a better word. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse the pun. Yeah. yeah, totally, man. And I think that's the, the scariest thing is that a lot of men just have no idea that their lives could feel more um enlivening more passionate more anything than that kind of semi empty and half dead feeling that so many guys walk around with in their day-to-day -day lives just in the back of their mind and body of like oh i feel half numb and half empty and i have not ever known anything else except for when i was like a young child you know yeah or I don't know how I feel. I haven't haven't thought yeah. about it, but I just get really angry sometimes, or I just react yeah. to things, and they don't have that yeah. understanding, which sort of makes it even scarier. Yeah. So, so just go into the actual work you've done as a sexologist and being on this journey, and how that actually happens, what that actually is, because a lot of people mm. wouldn't know. Yeah, totally. So there's a lot of different, well, not heaps, but there's a number of different avenues to study through, and. The um, training I've done is called Sexological Bodywork, and I trained with an institute that is based in Brisbane but does international trainings. And Sexological Bodywork is a really practical modality um, in that it takes a bunch of teachings from um, a number of different sexual philosophies like Taoism and classical Tantra, as well as modern sexology and understanding of the body and our culture and then it plugs it all through this kind of neuroscience perspective to give it modern language and an understanding that's separated from a spiritual tradition so that it's accessible to people of all walks of life and belief systems right. um, and so through that basically we're working with people's actual bodies as well as their mind and conditioning and culture to create um, coaching and body work that works with their whole being and all of their sexuality. And so 
Sessions that I do will often be talking based, but they'll also involve people becoming more aware of their body and emotions. And then out of that, we will create practical activities that they can either do in session or out of session, depending on their comfort levels, to actually begin having different experiences inside of their body, their pleasure, their sex, rather than just being able to think of different experiences. Right. Um, And who seeks you out and what sort of impact do you see that have on their lives when you do work with them? Yeah, so I was when I first started this work, I was just working with anyone um, and it became really clear to me that I wanted to stand by men and really offer them a space that was specific to them. And I think that this work is really confronting for a lot of men and so it's slow to really pick up traction where for women it's just like on fire at the moment and it's going off because... Because they really um, want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's so much permission and their culture socially allows more space for them to connect through it, whereas men are taught to be private and invulnerable. And so it's really difficult to crack through. But um, yeah, I have a a pretty, even within that category, I have a pretty broad range of clientele where I'll have um, straight men in long-term partnership um, who are in their 40s or 50s, you know, who have finally realised that... (laughs) They've been doing all this different work, but this is where they need to come now and and work on themselves and transform their sex life. I'll have um, gay men in their, you know, 30s and 40s. Um, I've had I've worked with young men who are you know like really realizing in their in their early and mid 20s or mid 20s, and they're like, oh wow, I want to nail this now because I can see how it's impacting me, and I want to become more empowered. I want to become more aware of myself. Um, a lot of the methods that people find me through right now have been through community, through meeting me in person in different workshops or spaces, through a referral, and slowly that that more online space, Instagram pages, those avenues as people build relationship with me, they start to reach out and, and connect with me across those, those planes, but they need time to really get to know me and feel safe from a distance before they reach in. Um, and when you start working with these people, how do you see that take effect and what benefit do they get out of it? Yeah. So obviously a range, but some of the most common ones is that men quite quickly, actually, you know, to their credit, when they commit to doing some of the practices to, to doing conscious self-pleasure practice at home, to having these conversations with me, um, they become a whole lot more aware of their body and they start to feel in a whole different way physically and emotionally they can form language for things and experiences that they've just never been able to describe before um they start to experience pleasure in their bodies that is separate to pornography that is self-generated that they've never experienced before and a lot of that trickles into their relationships where they begin to have conversations communicate in more vulnerable ways they share pleasure with their partners in new ways they are able to be more present more aware, less reactive, uh, more generous with their giving actually, and less agenda, less focused on outcomes and orgasm and, you know, getting somewhere and more actually in the process of connecting with their lovers and being in relationship rather than just trying to tick that sex box of like, oh yeah, this week I've had my, I've had my load of sex and I've come and that's what matters, you know, it's like, no, no, I'm here to actually connect and be in a process of pleasure and and love so right yeah it all sounds like great stuff so how intertwined is all this with our mental health and how much for you personally how has your mental health changed since going through this journey and what do you see from others as well 
Yeah, great question. I think it's fully entwined. Um, I really believe in holistic health models and and systems and that everything is interconnected. Like I think a lot of modern science seeks to remove aspects of our experience and study them individually. And I understand the value of that in getting to know that specific thing, but I think it only always needs to be placed back within the whole. And so I really promote that as well with our sexualities. It's not that we have to over-focus on this for the rest of our lives. It's that we need to give it enough attention for a time to develop it. And then it needs to be reintegrated with the rest of our lives. And so yeah. I think that pleasure, <clears throat> orgasms, connection, all of these things are actually some of the most potent antidotes to mental health challenges. And they connect us to ourselves, to the present moment on a neurological nervous system level. Um, the practices that I teach and promote um, help people regulate their nervous systems and drop out of anxiety and fear and more into presence and calm states of being. Um, so it's really infinite, I believe, the flow and impact. And the biggest challenge I think that is out there for myself and for others is to remain conscious and engaged with ourselves because, you know, it's like meditation. If you don't do it, you don't get the benefits. You know, it's like exercise and gym. If you don't do it, you don't get the benefits. We can know about it, but we have to be engaged with our bodies, our pleasure, and be consciously cultivating it. Um, yeah, So, and there's a degree of discipline that goes with that. But I like what you're saying, that this is just the fundamental part of life, obviously. Anyone would be able mm. to tell you that, and it's not about saying, all right, let's only focus on sex because the answer to life is is sex. It's about saying, well, this is a, clearly a part of things and we've just neglected it for so long and haven't really spent any time on it past the obvious end result that we're all chasing and that actually working on a bit of the, the deep work within that has a huge impact and a flow and effect to the rest of our life. So it's not just saying that it's all about this now, everyone focus on this. It's it's about balance, it's about everything, but let's not forget about our sex lives within all that, as hard as it might be to talk about this stuff sometimes. And I've seen that yeah, you um, you speak about rites of passage and initiation and the importance of that. Mm. How much do you think that's missing from the lives of young men in our culture today? Yeah, pretty much completely, like in any positive way. I think we've got these really broken ways in which we kind of, in which young men initiate each other often, which is just like the most disastrous option at times, um, you know, through getting drunk, through having our first sex, through driving cars illegally, whatever it is, you know, we've, we've got different ways in which we push up against things and grow ourselves up. But for me, my first experience of a men's rights of initiation retreat was one of the most transformative moments and kind of homecomings to myself that I'd ever experienced in my adult and young adult life. And it plugged me into a sense of community and holding and connection that I had never had outside my family network. And I was lucky to even have it within my family network. Some, a lot of people don't have it even there, but I think it's paramount to our mental health and our well-being to be connected to a community. And, and that's what I got offered through that as well as a conscious marker and ritual and process in time where I said, oh, this is the moment where another group of individuals have stood with me and journeyed with me and have witnessed my transformation from a boy or a young man into an actual adult, into a being that can stand here on my own and be like, yes, this is who and what I am. And I'm not, I'm no longer kind of dependent on people. I'm interdependent. I'm relating with others. 
in a responsible and mature way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and connected to the whole and mm. recognizing your significance as a being. Mm. How did you yeah. get to that point? Like, what was the what was the actual session or or ceremony that went with that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the the retreat I did is called the Grail, a hero's quest to self, and it's run by an organization called She Matrix, who I still do a lot of volunteer work for in these events. Um, and they, they kind of pull on a lot of different teachings um, from a lot of different backgrounds and have created a three-day journey. It's a residential retreat basically where you go and stay and it's about a group of 20 or so men and a few facilitators. Um, and I don't have permission to speak about the practical kind of details of what happens there, but it's really based in landing guys in their in their emotional expression they're sharing their speaking and their physical expression like their ability to move their bodies to find their voice and to use these tools as a way of um expressing and letting go of the things that haven't served them in the last chapter of their lives of the the pain or the challenge or the outdated beliefs and habits that might have been there and then finding a way to become aware of and call in the next chapter of their life and the new ways of being. So Mm. that retreat that I did wasn't specific to a specific age group. I was just fortunate enough to be invited to it by my dad at like 22. And so I had it early in my life or 23, but a lot of men are doing those retreats at 50, 60 years old. So, yeah. Cool. Sounds like it's got, it's very, a very worthwhile thing to do, but that a lot of people probably wouldn't go and seek out because it probably has a bit of stigma attached to it or you just think, oh, that's not something that I need to do, but probably everyone yeah, could Yeah, and benefit. a lot of unknown and mystery too, which especially for men just freaks us out. we like, we want to know the list of what we're going to be doing, yeah. how it's going to benefit us and why. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Very no, true. No, come along and you'll see. You know, like <laughs> We don't like that. <laughs> yeah, we don't like that. <laughs> so are you in a relationship now? Yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a long-term relationship. I've been with Tamika for about three and a half years um, and it's an open relationship. So she's got two children and another partner. Um, so I'm living a pretty alternative relational life. Right. And in telling women that you're a sexologist, does that come with the expectation that you're a sex god? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to hope not, but maybe there is. Um, <laughs> it's a good business I, card. <laughs> That's right. The shameless sex god. I think that's a, a guy in my that's industry who used to call himself that, a shameless sex god. Yeah. yeah. I guess if you're going around saying you're a sex god, you're probably anything but in my experience. That's it, man. Yeah. I have butted up in relationship and in new connections. I've butted up against people's own expectations of how sex goes and stuff. And I've gone through processes of like, that's not how I do sex. Like, I'm not about, I'm not all about how many orgasms can we have or, you know, like, whatever it is, whatever people's unconscious expectations are, it's mm. like it's a big thing for me to be like, can we just be here and connect actually and be yeah. in the pleasure of it, you know? So Yeah, you're um, about changing, changing the expectations to... rather than meeting the stereotypes, exactly. obviously. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are times where people expect certain things, but um, I have to really watch as well that I'm not educating, that I'm not over-educating my, my personal connections and in new ones. Like I really want to find people that are ready to meet me where I am, not that I'm in some amazing place and have like skills that others don't have, but I don't want to be here like 
trying to educate in my personal relationships constantly. Yeah, for sure. What do you think the main things are that hold the majority of us back as men in relation to sex and our sexuality? In developing it and becoming more conscious of it, you mean? Or? Yeah, I think so. And becoming happier mm -hmm. with ourselves and happier yeah. with that part of our lives. Yeah. I think it's the um I think it's actually the fear of stepping outside of the confines of how mainstream culture defines masculinity. You know, to do this work, men are required to get really vulnerable. And that's something that we're taught not to do. To do this work, we're required to call in help and ask for assistance and admit that we don't know everything already and that's against masculinity we probably have to start feeling our emotions and being willing to be feeling humans and that's something we're taught not to do so it's it's a pretty long list of all in all i think it's masculinity and the way we teach men to be men that mm. stops us actually and makes it so hard and it's it's i've been it's been doing my head in recently how i'm like wow the conditioning is like a fail safe on itself that actually stops us from it is finding access points to undo the conditioning because it's like, really the polar opposite all those pedagogies that we adhere to are all things that stop you from getting in touch with yourself and learning mm. these things and developing mm. emotionally because it's all about shutting that off and then we applaud that <laughs> yeah yeah it's mental and that's why i see so many men breakups deaths in their family crises is what finally motivates them because they get to a point where they're in so much pain and discomfort and they've got nothing to lose they're like oh well i've lost it already why don't i just finally give it a go and i'm like here pleading with men you don't have to lose it all first like you can choose it and transform it and then everything you've already got can gently change into something different yeah you don't have to hit that real rock bottom before you start learning the tools to be able to cope with it exactly yeah and that's a really important point to make but as we know from our own personal experience you can be told this stuff all you like and sometimes it just takes reaching whatever your point is to actually take action but that doesn't mean it doesn't help hearing from other men saying you don't have to wait till you're at your absolute bottom or you think you're in crisis before you start thinking about things differently and there are totally. there are resources available to help you and there are different ways of perceiving the world and, and being in it but everyone comes to it at their own time don't they they do and in that sense i really don't want to stigmatize like rock bottom and heartbreak and chaos either because i actually just think it's one of the most useful human experiences we have so many of my transformations and my big growth points are directly after a huge breakup or massive change in my life and it's like yeah, as much as possible i try and get really okay with welcoming those times and not judging myself i'm still in pain and turmoil and i feel lost and confused but it's like if i can remember oh no this is this is what being human means sometimes then all of a sudden it starts to take all of the cycle that can become like ongoing mental health disorders or suicidal thoughts it can take that potency out of it and just make me more okay inside of the challenge well said man great to talk to you and discuss these really interesting topics because it's something that's so fundamental to all of our lives but also mm. something that we're great at ignoring or pushing off to the side or pretending like oh that's not that big of a deal but obviously it does hold a lot of weight so yeah thanks for your time man and the work that you do and um, i'm sure there'll be some some more emails in your inbox or people sending you dms saying uh, that they maybe would like to have your services as well so Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on. It's been an awesome chat and just, yeah, really appreciate your um, 
great questions and yeah all of the work you're doing too to help men it's super essential so big part to all of that thank you brother that means a lot that's it for this episode if you're getting some value out of the show please help us out with a quick rate and review on apple podcasts everything we do is recorded in video so follow young blood men's mental health on instagram and facebook and young blood mental health on tiktok subscribe to our youtube channel young blood media and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate we'd love to hear from you you can sign up to our e-news through our website youngbloodmedia.com.au And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.